You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. It's the week of Sunday, June 5th, week 8 in Romans. Paul Patterson joins us at the Moscow campus this week, continuing in Romans 6 and exploring what it means to be slaves to righteousness and walk its path. Good morning, Real Life. How are we? Awesome. I am Paul Patterson, the Moscow Student Ministries coach. Glad to be with you. I have so much I want to talk about, so we're just going to get going. Cool? Yeah. All right. As way of review, just to make sure that we, in our, in our noggins, we kind of have the idea of the flow where Paul has been, where Paul has been going, because we want to make sure that we keep everything in its proper context. Initially, Romans was written not to be dissected week by week, but to be read as a whole letter. So it's good for us just to make sure we stay in context. And I know as summer approaches and vacations come and the, the gorgeous weather tempts us to skip church, which I don't blame you, I have to be here. Uh, as that happens, make sure that you try to stay up on the sermons because uh, it's, if you miss a week or you miss a couple weeks, uh, you could be missing out on the context. Two weeks ago, we looked at Paul addressing this, uh, what we call the kal vahamer, this greater than principle, that if Adam, one man, through his one trespass, introduced sin and death into the whole world, how much more than the one man, Jesus Christ, through his one act, is able to introduce grace and life, that Jesus, the Son of God, looks at all the sin and all the trespasses that have ever been committed and all the sins and trespasses that will ever be committed, and he says, I got it. In response to this last week, we looked at, well, if that's the case then, if grace is so much more than sin, should we go on sinning so that grace might increase all the more? Yeah, someone said no. Good job. Uh, And that's what Paul says. Paul says, by no means. In the Greek, as Marty says, in the Greek it says, that's stupid. Like, that's just, that's ridiculous. And so last week we looked at the answer to his question. Why, why is it that we shouldn't go on sinning so that grace might increase? This week is going to be similar. He's going to answer a similar question. But before we jump into Romans, we want to actually start somewhere else. We want to talk about two principles, two ideas that are found within Scripture that Paul is going to be leaning on heavily this week. He's going to be pulling these ideas from Scripture to make his point. The first principle is found in Proverbs. Now, You can find it all over the place. You can find it in Genesis. You can find it in Deuteronomy. You can find it in Exodus. You can find it in Jeremiah. But Proverbs boils it down probably the most concisely, so we're just going to use that this week. Proverbs 12, 28. In the path of righteousness is life, and in its pathway there is no death. There's this idea that God calls us to a path, a way of walking, a way of living, and this path is, is one of righteousness. And when we are on this path, we find life, that, that, that it just leads to life. Or uh, Proverbs eleven six says, the righteousness of the upright deliver them, but the treacherous are taken captive by their lust. Like there, there's this path that we are called to, and every other path leads to death. It's natural outcome is death. And it's important to remember that this isn't just 
spiritual death. This isn't some divine judgment of the afterlife, but just the life itself. All things that encompass life are to be found on this path. And all things that encompass death are to be found on the other paths, whether it's a a path of greed or a path of ambition or self-gratification or slothfulness or whatever it might be. Now, the second principle that we need to hold on to this week as we look at Romans 6, it comes, uh, once again, you can find it in Exodus, but Jesus, once again, makes it most, uh, he boils it down to the most concise version. Jesus says in Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one or love the, and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, the word money here is probably a poor translation. It means more worldly stuff. But really, for our purposes, you could scratch it out and just put a blank next to it. You can't serve God and whatever it is. You can't. No matter how good, no matter how bad, no matter how, where it falls on the moral spectrum, you can't serve God and your politics your specific religious dogmatic view, God and your addiction, God and your sorrow, God and whatever it might be. You can't. And Jesus is using the analogy of two slave masters. You can't have two slave masters. You will naturally draw yourself to one or the other. This isn't a, a practical advice thing that Jesus is giving you. This is a heart issue. You will gravitate to one master or the other. You can try, and Lord knows that I've tried, to try to serve two different masters and sometimes even more. Some of us are like, I have like eight. Um, But you can't. You will find yourself pulled to one. It just happens. With, With those two ideas in mind then, this idea of a path that leads to right, a path of righteousness that leads to life, and this idea of Two opposing slave masters. Let's jump into Romans 6. We're going to start uh, looking at the last paragraph from last week as we flow into this week. It says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you. And, and recall last week, Paul's entertaining this idea of Adam and, Adam and Eve and life and death, and what does sin and death look like? And he goes to Genesis 4 to look at Cain and Abel. What sin and death looks like is when brother rises against brother. And that sin isn't just a personal thing. It actually... It, it positions me to affect other people, and not just in my immediate circle, but even my lineage, my descendants, the, the type of story that I leave behind generations later will have huge consequences for the good and for the bad. So Paul, uh, and then he says, since you are not under law, but under grace. And if you recall, we've talked about this word namas, how Paul doesn't use the article. And so we're not always sure if he's talking about Torah or if he's talking about general moral code. And I think this, this line, it doesn't matter as much. It doesn't matter if you're talking about Torah or general moral code. You're not under law. You're under grace. 
When he says this, then, this rises a second question, and it sounds similar to the first, but it's actually quite a bit different. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? Like, all right, since there is no moral code, and that's not what Paul's saying, but since we're not under a moral code, since we're not obligated to that, does that mean we can just do whatever because there's no rules? Can, can I be like my middle child, Isaiah, who has no idea what the heck a rule is? Uh, we were at a graduation party yesterday. Um, sorry, I have to tell you the story. And Isaiah is exhausted. Like he's been playing all day out in the heat. He's just, and it's time for us to leave. And so we're walking and I see him look at this slide and it's a tall slide. And I say, Isaiah, no, we got to get going. And he looks at me and he looks at the slide and he looks at me with this look and he's like, is it worth it? And he bolts. <laughs> and I'm like, Isaiah, no. And he, he looks at me again from the handles of the slide, and he goes, I'm just going to go. And he just, and I'm, I'm by now, like, da- oh, daddy is mad. And I'm booking it towards him, and, he, and I can't grab him. And so he goes up, and he comes down, and I try to reach over the slide to pull him out, and I miss. And he comes to the bottom of the slide, and he's, like, happy, and he looks at me and goes, oh. <laughs> just, can we live like that? Like, I, my son Isaiah, he doesn't know what boundaries are. Like, he, he doesn't. His life motto is, why not? Uh, can we live this way? And his answer this week, again, is by no means. Again, in the Greek, that's stupid. Uh, of course we can't. Of course we can't live that way. Do you, know, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey. There is a huge problem with what he just said. So actually, if you'd go back to the previous slide, let me read that one more time. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? That is not how slavery works. Slavery isn't a personal choice. Like even in the best situation of their time, like if you owed a debt to someone and you needed to pay it off but you didn't have the financial means to, you could enter as an indentured servant to someone. That still isn't like, oh, I'm not sure what I'm going to do with my life. I'm just going to become someone's slave. That's, that's, not, what, that's not how it works. Like in the best situation, on the other side of the spectrum, you could be a captive. Either you were kidnapped or you were a prisoner of war, whatever it might be, but that wasn't a choice. And then later you were sold as a slave. Or even, even a sadder situation, you could have been a child who was abandoned, either in the city marketplace or at the outskirts of the city. Infants who were unwanted and just dropped off. And sometimes people would come around and collect them and raise them up to be slaves, either in a brothel or for some rich person. It's not a choice. So what is Paul saying? What Paul is saying is you have the choice. Like, this isn't a forced situation. You're not, remember what he said in the first paragraph, sin will have no dominion over you. You don't have to serve this master. 
And on the same side, kind of going with what Jesus said, you don't have to serve God either. It's your choice. And at the beginning of chapter 6, Paul talks about baptism, how you've been baptized. You've already made this choice. You've already chosen to serve this master. So Paul keeps going. Uh, You are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Now, I don't have time to talk about what Paul's going to do. I'm going to anyway. Uh, This slave master is sin. What Paul's going to, the way Paul describes this sin, this, not sin master, sorry, slave master, slave master. This slave master, he's going to start off calling it uh, obedience. And then he's going to call it uh, righteousness. And then he's going to call it God. And so he, he progresses. And in the middle of righteousness and God is sanctification. Um, maybe we'll talk more about it. We'll see. All right, let's keep going. Either of sin, which leads to death, if you want to serve this master, you get death. Or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. If obedience. And remember that we're having this conversation, should we go on sinning willfully? And Paul's talking about, like, we're not under law. But, but that doesn't mean in Paul's mind that, that we're not called to obey. Just like my son. Like, he's not, there's not some moral code that I have constructed for his life that he has to check off every box. That's not the point. But when it comes for us to leave and we're going and I tell him to come, I expect him to come. Uh, Which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. So praise God that you were over here, you've been set free, and as such, your heart has changed, and now you can be over here and recall Jesus' teaching. What's brilliant about what Paul is doing is that he's actually leaning on Exodus. Uh, and if we don't have time to talk about it, you're going to hear this a lot, we don't have time. Uh, but if you recall in our worship series back in uh, September, we talked about this word avodah. And how avodah means slavery, the toil. It's a a hard and heavy thing. And in in the Exodus story, the Israelites were slaves to Egypt. They had a hard and oppressive master. And God comes and he redeems them from their slavery. And then all of a sudden, he uses the same word again. He invites them into his avodah. And Paul's leaning on this uh, this Exodus motif here. Um, where are we? Beating from the heart to the standard of teaching which you were committed. Having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. And so he changes the word. It's not just obedience. It's actually more than that. I'm not calling my son just to obey me. There's, there's more. It's, it's deeper than that. Then Paul says, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Um, Such a passive-aggressive way of saying you're dumb. Um, uh, (laughs) This is something Aaron would say, right? Um, (laughs) Hi, Aaron. I did say I might get in trouble today. Uh, One reason Paul says this is because he's he's going to acknowledge that this analogy uh, doesn't, doesn't fully work. It has limitations. 
Like it, it, it's not the best analogy, but this is what Paul is going with. Uh, and I think one reason he says this is because he doesn't want us to view God as a oppressive slave master. Like it's always an invitation. It's always a choice. We can choose death. We can choose life. And that's a theme throughout scripture. We, we can choose. And he invites us to trust in him. But, uh, after insulting their intelligence, he keeps going. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, when you go on this path, it spirals out of control. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. This word sanctification basically means to be made holy. It means to be set apart, to be different. Uh, you know those Coke cans where it said share with? You know those? No one? One person. Sweet. Thank you. Uh, my wife and I hate those because my wife, her name's Molly, but it's M-O-L-L-I-E. We never find an M-O-L-L-I-E. But let's say I go to the store and I'm rifling through the Coke cans or Coke bottles and I finally find one. I would sanctify it by pulling it out and setting it aside. It is now different and unique. And because it's different, it is going to live in its distinction. It is set apart for a specific purpose because, because it bears my wife's name. I also hate those because while my name is Paul, it's P-A-U-L-E. And that was because of a doctor's drunk mistake handwriting back with my grandpa. Like... Yeah, I wish it was a cool story. Like, there was a guy with a P-A-U-L-E, and he saved a kid from a burning fire while he was carrying a grizzly. Like, but no, uh, it, he messed up on the birth certificate. Great. Anyway, like, there's not, like, we don't find those. But if there was a can, we would set it apart. We would make it holy. And it's crucial to understand that it, its holiness isn't found because it's isolated. Its, its holiness is found because it's unique from all the rest. That it needs to be in the present of the rest in order to be unique. If it's just by itself, it's alone and sad. But when it's in the midst of others, it's, it's set apart. All right, uh, keep going. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard of righteousness. When this was your boss, that boss had no say over you. Well, now, uh, if my boss from Idaho Falls, my former, uh, the, the owner of the former restaurant that I used to manage, if Josh calls me one day saying, hey, this next Saturday, man, we are slammed. We have banquets up there. You know what? We really need your help, so we'll see you then, right? I would awkwardly laugh and say, you're joking, right? Like, he has, I'm free from him. Like, he has no say over me. When we were a slave to sin, we were free from righteousness, and notice what Paul's question is. Like, we might assume that because we're free from righteousness, we're free from obligation. And we in America love to be free from obligation. And that's, but notice what Paul's question says. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? Like, were you really content with what you were being paid from this slave master? Like your, your sin, the gossip, the slander, the contention, the fighting, 
the depression, the anger, the bitterness, both in you and around you. Like, is, is this what you want? Those things that you keep from everyone else because you are terrified of what they'll think of you. Are you really content with what you're being paid from this slave master? For the end of those things is death, he will go on to say. Next slide. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, once again, he changes the name. Because it's not necessarily about obedience or even righteousness, it's about our dad. The fruit you get from this slave master leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Now, this slide, any Awana people, like you grew up doing Awana and you got the little stars? Yeah, a few of us. I love Awana, and it's Awana, not Awanas. Amen? Uh, I love it, but uh, I kind of did it. I, I don't know. I was a little bit of a rebellious child. Um, still kind of am. But like we remember, a lot of us have memorized this verse. And, we were, and I think when we memorized it, we just assumed it was part of the Romans road, that we just assumed it's talking about uh, heaven or hell and salvation. And uh, notice the context. He's talking about here and right now. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. <laughs> I got time. Uh, oh, this is so good. The, the brilliance here of what Paul just did is he says, listen, if you want to serve this slave, you, you get paid a wage. You get paid your due. Like, it's just what you get. And one thing, I, one thing that drives me nuts about working with students is the entitlement. It's always someone else's fault. And hear me, parents, they learn that from somewhere. So the consequences of their mistakes, we are, they are so quick to point their finger at someone else or something else. Like, if you want to live that life, if your life is full of destruction and chaos and bitterness and turmoil and tension, it's probably because you're serving the wrong master. But then Paul changes the word. He doesn't use wages over here. He used the word gift. It's a gift. Life is a gift. And if you want to serve this master it's be, you do it out of trust and out of faith. Just because you, you know the character of this master. You know his love. And what Paul does is he goes back to chapter 4. And he pulls the same language that he talks about with Abraham. It's not in your notes, but we're going to read it. For if Abraham... Next slide. There we go. For if Abraham was justified by works, he, was, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does scripture say? Abraham believed God and was counted him as righteousness. The faith thing. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Paul uses this 
uh, older discussion of Abraham and righteousness in the midst of talking about being slaves to righteousness, that we need to offer ourselves over here to this master. And he pulls from this language of Abraham and righteousness, this, this declaration that Abraham was justified, that he was declared to be in right standing with his God because he, because he just believed that it was true. And this word righteousness in the Hebrew is zedekah. Say it. You need a little bit more phlegm, which you guys are struggling with allergies, I know, so it should be easy, right? Zedekah. Uh, the first time it shows up is in Genesis 12, 15, 15. Uh, and, and this is what Paul quotes from in Romans 4. That Zedekiah was counted to him as righteousness. This personal standing that he is free to stand before God because he trusts God. What Paul does this week, I'm convinced, the more I wrestle with it, is he pulls from the second time Zedekiah is mentioned. And it shows up in Genesis 18. In surprise, it's in relationship to Abraham. Abraham just constructed this feast with, with a moment's notice for these three strangers that show up. And we're not sure if Abraham knows who these strangers are, but as the story progresses, we, we realize, and, so, and I assume Abraham realizes, that one of them is the Lord. And the other two are his buddies, I guess. I don't know. Uh, like We realize that one of them is the Lord. And the Lord, if you go to the end of Genesis 18, is going to go to Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's going to destroy the cities. And, in the, and as they're about to leave, notice what God says. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? What is he about to do? Why, why, does, he want to just, why does he want to keep that from Abraham? Why is he even considering, like, why is he holding back? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. That like his, his, perp, his lineage will be that of blessing, not destruction. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing zedekah and justice. And we've talked a lot about these words, zedekah and mishpat here at Real Life. So I don't feel like we need to tear it apart right now. But righteousness isn't just about a personal standing. It's not just me. It's about me also carrying righteousness where I go, looking for that which is unright and fixing it. And God knows that the very reason he chose Abraham is because Abraham would be a man who would do righteousness and justice. And the reason he wants to keep from telling Abraham about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah is because he knows Abraham will flip out. And guess what he does? We see a side of, side of Abraham that we've never seen. Like normally we see Abraham kind of being this gentle person. Like he can get into a fight, but even then like, no, this time, like he, like what he says to God is, I wouldn't advise it. Go read it. He says, far be it from you, the judge of the earth. Shouldn't the judge of the earth do what is right? And Abraham tries to save the city. And he bargains with God. 
And he does what he can. And that is exactly who God wants. For a people, for a people who are declared to have no condemnation in their life, we, if we're not careful, we can talk a lot about condemnation. We need, to be, we need to be a people who stop condemning the world and start trying to save it. We need to be a people who fight, not for the destruction of others, but for their salvation. Abraham fully knows about Sodom and Gomorrah. He knows what's going down there. He knows the character. He knows how vile it is. And yet he still fights for it. And this is a lesson that God teaches over and over again in Scripture, kind of like with Moses. Moses, who isn't even, at the beginning of the story, isn't even willing to call himself an Israelite, who isn't willing to acknowledge the people as his people. And then by Exodus 32, we see that Moses has changed, and God says he's going to destroy the people, and Moses fights for them, and God relents. I don't think God changed his mind. I think God was trying to get him to that point. Or even think of Jonah. Like, God wants a people who fights for people, not condemns people. <sighs> We're going to move into our implications. Uh, as we do, uh, the servers for communion are going to go ahead and go back, and they're going to pass out the elements. We have an open communion here at Real Life, which means if you want to celebrate and remember the Lord's death and resurrection, if you want to claim him as Lord and Savior, we would love for you to partake with us. We ask that you would hold on to the elements until the end. That way, as one family, we can take together. As, we, uh, as they pass this out, Let's work through these, through these implications. Number one, righteousness is not about simply being in right standing with God. It is also about bringing rightness into the world. It requires a way of living that engages the unrightness. It's a word. I made it up. Rather than being isolated from it. Righteousness and sanctification does not mean that we set up our holy Christian huddle over here and we have our own Christian industry and our own Christian things. That's not what it means. It means that we subversively inject ourselves into the culture around us, that we look for places that are not right and we dive in. We, we get our hands and our feet dirty. Second implication, you can live a life of dead deeds. You, you can. You can serve this master if you want. But in the end, you reap what you work for. However, life is a gift for those who walk in trust and righteousness. It, it's not about rule following. It's not. It's about life. It's about doing the things that produce life. And that's what righteousness is. It produces life. So wherever we go, if we choose this path, we should be like a river that flows and, and brings with it life everywhere. Third implication, 
You are unable to waltz between these two worldviews. You, you can't have it this way and this way when, just whenever you want it. It will not work. They are diametrically opposed to each other. They are, they are complete, the complete opposites. And you can't be in both. You are either on one path or another. And no, nothing you do is neutral. Your entire life will be on one of these paths. Everything matters. Everything. Diapers matter. Your food, your diet, your sleep schedule, your entertainment, the books you read, like everything matters. And last one. When morality is our banner, when, it, when it's about the, the code that we have constructed, it constructs a barrier between us and them. We, we become a tribe that rallies behind some type of moral code. And when we do this, we automatically decide who's in and who's out. And then we project condemnation on those who don't belong. And hear me, real life, we're guilty of this. We are. Like, I, I love that we welcome everyone, the people who are on the margins, the people who shouldn't be in church. I love it. But we have a tendency to compare ourselves with other churches, with other people. And if we're honest in our heart, we bring condemnation down upon them. And me personally, I need to repent from that. We as Christians can be the type of people, we, we have to get this right, guys. Because either we're, either we're attacking each other or attacking other churches, or we're fighting battles that don't matter. Like we will get up in arms over a Ten Commandment display even though we can't even quote the Ten Commandments. While at the same time, 3.5 million children are dying each year because of starvation. Or 4.5 million people are forced into the sex trafficking industry. We'll rally behind a moral code, but when it comes to life and death situations, We'll read about it on Facebook and go, oh, that's sad. Or get up in arms over a gorilla or bathrooms. And trust me, I have opinions on them. But we have to make sure we're not under law. Another man who came into the world not to condemn the world, but to save it. A man who, though he was betrayed, though he was wronged, though he had every right to wish for the condemnation and the revenge that the people do were owed, while he hung on a cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. 
And so as we come to communion this morning and as we hold these elements, we remember the covenant that we have entered into, a covenant of life and salvation, not of death and condemnation. We remember that Jesus said, just as the Father sent him, he is sending us. Not to bring condemnation into the world, but to bring salvation. That we would be righteous in this covenant, that we would walk in this covenant. And that we follow a man, that we follow a God who is willing to do it himself. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, saying, take and eat. This is my body. And whenever we take this, we remember. So let's remember. Then he took the cup, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant. And every week, we tie ourselves back to this covenant and we remember. So let's remember. Father, I want to thank you. One, just for the audaciousness of your scripture. That you call us to wrestle, to search, to trust that vengeance is yours and that you'll take care of it. That you invite us to be a people who live not in death but live in life. That we would be a spring of living water that gushes forth. That we would be a people that restores the blessing to the world and not the curse. And you did this for us. You're not some oppressive slave master. You are kind and loving and slow to anger. And your entire plan for the entire world has always been one of life. May we choose not to live under the control of sin, but choose to live rather under your control because you are kind and gracious, a father we can trust. And Lord, I pray that we would be just like you, a God who doesn't wish for the destruction of people, but a God who fights for them, that we'd be just like you, loving and kind and gentle and forgiving, even to, especially to the people who don't deserve it. May we fight this fight and become more like you every day. I pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this message from Real Life. Don't forget the summer schedule at our Moscow campus starts this upcoming Sunday, June 12th. We'll be dropping the 1130 service through August 14th, resuming on August 21st. Pullman campus service times will stay the same through the summer. For more information on this or any other upcoming events, visit us at liferotp.com. And if you have any questions or feedback about today's message, you can email us at comment at liferotp.com. Romans, the Declaration, will continue next Sunday. Until then, have a great week.